listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2. And we will be continuing on in our series here on developing the mind of Christ, that this is something that is for us as believers to develop more and more the mind of Christ, thinking like Christ and, and, and living out his life. And just recently I heard of a Christian man in his 60s, raised in a Christian home, had been married for 40 plus years, raised his children in the ways of God, taking them to church, being involved in church. But recently, after 40-some years of marriage, that marriage ended because this man was found to be having multiple affairs over the last number of years. This speaks deeply to his commitment to his family, but also, even more importantly, his relationship with the Lord. It was about seven years ago for me personally that similar stories led me to a almost meltdown, if you want to say it, or a crisis of faith, so to speak. Being a pastor for many years and, and serving in a church for, for a good number of years and, and by all intents and purposes, a very successful church. It, it seemed every, very successful, Think great things were happening and, and it was a privilege to watch people get saved and, and, and families come to church and, and experience the gospel in their lives and, and see people get baptized and to see them grow in their Christian life and, and uh, all of a sudden to walk away, to pack it in. And sometimes it was because life got tough and because it didn't, the Christian life didn't offer all that they had hoped that it would offer them. And, and, uh, and sometimes it was, and oftentimes it was relational strife. It was instead of working things out and, and, and giving or the receiving of forgiveness, they instead decided to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. And instead of pursuing unity, they wanted to pursue disunity and pursue their own way. And and it was sad to see some of these people who came to faith in Christ or some who grew up in the church and, and grew up in faith even pack in their faith altogether. This started to cause a great concern in my life. And, and it just, this just didn't happen with new believers. This happened at times with long-time believers or, or long-time believers who would, who would sit in church but would sit in bitterness and, and resentment and unforgiveness in, in their lives with family, with friends, with, with others who have hurt them. And, and seeing all of this kind of thing, seeing that this was a successful church, but seeing this ugly underbelly just caused me to say, what's going on here? And, and, and what kind of work am I a part of? Is it just going through the, the spiritual motions even as a pastor? Does this really work? Does the Christian life really work? Or is it just a religion? Is it just a set of values that we subscribe to? And, and even just subscribing with some discipline to the values of the Christian life make for us a, a, a cleaner life in a lot of ways and, and, and a better life oftentimes. But does it really work? Do the claims of Christ really work? And it was also in this time six, seven years ago that these scripture verses were going through my mind and I couldn't get away from them. And I'm just going to read some of these passages and, and, and you may want to just write down the references and look at them for yourself because these are important truths from the word of God and I couldn't get away from it. And it speaks deeply into where we're going today when we talk about working out our salvation. 
What does that look like? And, and in second, here's some verses that, that really kind of caused me a lot of angst. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul said, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Matthew 7, verse 14, Jesus said, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Luke 8 and Matthew 13, we have the parable of the soils, the parable of the seeds and the soils, and, and, and where we see that some seeds got started, but they got choked out by the, by the thorns, or, or they dried up because of the rocks, and, and only the one that was planted firmly in, in good soil grew and produced a harvest. And the question for me was, what kind of a soil am I? And sometimes maybe we're too quick to assume that we're the fourth soil, that others are the fourth soil. And, 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 and then Matthew 24 and verse 12, and Jesus said, and, and because of lawlessness will be increased in the last days, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then Matthew 7, 21, this was the, the icing on the cake, so to speak. And this one Here is Jesus saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." Those are serious words from the Word of God that that cause us to to examine and to say, whoa, what's going on here? You see, in the 1980s approximately, as church attendance was declining, especially in North America, it was decided by church leaders uh, throughout North America to kind of lower the theological and the biblical walls and and try to attract more people, get more people into the church, attract young people. And and, and church became more fun and became oftentimes, you could say, more entertaining. And and I remember seeing things. You mean you can do this in church? And and, 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 and church went from kind of dull and ordinary to very life-filled and 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 contemporary, if you want to say, and, and biblical literacy on the other side of this, though, started to plummet, and it kind of ushered in the era of easy believism, that, that all you need to do was say a prayer, walk the aisle, and, and, and check a box, and, and you're in, you're saved, and, and so people are like, woohoo, I'm saved, and oftentimes then, they would follow that up with, with believer baptism, and, and boom, you, you're good, you're in kind of thing, and, but that's just the start of the Christian life. And there's more to it than just walking the aisle and, and praying a prayer. And, and, and there's something more to it than that. And for, for many people, church and, and salvation kind of simply became kind of a social event. It was a fun place and, and a good insurance policy. Just in case something happens, you know, like from fire insurance. You know, it's a good insurance policy from hell. And, uh, and so it's good to have that kind of church association sort of thing. And so it... it it becomes and can be, even today, very possible to be in church and go through the spiritual motions of a Christian, but not truly be in Christ. And that's why Paul calls us to examine our faith. That's why Jesus said that we need to, to uh, look at our own lives and, and see where we're at with the Lord. You see, church attendance doesn't save you. 
And just because you go to church four Sundays out of four in a month, I mean, for me, I grew up, I mean, it was kind of almost the joke that I was basically born on a church pew. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, I was born the next Sunday, we were in church, and as a family, we would always sit in the very front. You know what? Honestly, this morning, sitting up at the front here and hearing the band and then hearing you people sing, best seat in the house. I don't know, just best seat in the house, just, just saying. Um, encourage you to, to sit in the best seat of the house when, when you come into church. Yeah, a great place to be. Our family would sit in the very front. Our, our, our church leadership would kind of joke that, that whenever they had an event and they were going, well, people actually show up to this. They were like, oh yeah, the Lutzer family with their six kids and, and mom and dad, they would be there. So they knew there was always a guaranteed eight people at anything that the church did because, man, we were there. It was Sunday school followed by Sunday morning service go home for a little bit of a break. We only got to watch 30 minutes of Walt Disney and then we had to go to the evening service and we were kind of choked about that. Like, oh, do we have to go? You know, but we went to church. I was involved in Boys Brigade. You know, any of you involved in Boys Brigade as a young guy? On stockaders, marching forward on to victory. We would sing that song and, and Jesus Christ. It was great, you know, and, and then as I grew up, it was Bible quizzing where they would, would take and, and, and challenge us to, to memorize and some kids did I didn't memorize the entire book of Philippians or Colossians in in the school year some of them would memorize the whole book of Matthew book of Romans and then they would do this quiz kind of thing on it and so I was involved in that involved in small groups and in youth groups involved in then leading in in youth ministry went to Bible school ushered in church did all of these different things but just because I was full of all of that that activity didn't mean doesn't guarantee that I am saved it's so much more than that just Activity and mere words and spirituality doesn't mean that you're saved. It's a decision of the heart. And so in Philippians, Paul here, as we're coming in chapter 2, here, here in verses 12 and 13, we see that Paul, he's writing to this church, he loved them, but he's also calling them to examine and to exercise their faith. He's calling them to work it out, work out your salvation. And so in verse 12, it starts out, Therefore, and as you folks know, whenever you see a therefore, you ask yourself the question, what is it? Right on. So just to back up slightly to see why this therefore is therefore, you have to look back just at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, and Paul is saying, don't just look out to your own interest. Don't be selfish. Don't be self-centered. Think of others. And then he tells us, remember Christ, how he didn't just think of himself, but he thought of you and, and how he humbled himself. And last week we talked about the humility of Christ and, and the exaltation of Christ. And, and we saw at, at how at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And the question we talked about last week is where will you be bowing from? Will you be bowing in worship and reverence to you, the King of Kings and to your Lord and Savior? Or will you be bowing with weeping and gnashing of teeth, confessing that he is Lord. It's a very real reality. And where will we be bowing and, and worshiping him as King of kings and Lord of lords? And so he's saying, in light of Christ, his humility, his life, in light that one day we're all going to bow, now it's coming into, so therefore, because of this, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Paul is saying here, my beloved, ones I love, you people in Philippi, I'm here in jail and it's tough for you. I know it's hard, but he says, I love you, but work it out. Come on, folks, you've got to work it out. And he says, work it out authentically. In verse, verse 12, we, we see this here where, where he's saying, just don't be obedient when I'm there. Like you, just don't be obedient when I was there with you. Do it even when I'm here in prison. Continue to work it out. Isn't it funny how oftentimes in the workplace, production increases when the boss shows up? Ever experienced that? I, I've experienced that at times. And, and uh, I remember working at a steel plant in, in, in Regina as just in, at the end of my college years. And we were making um, spiral um, pipeline pipe. And, and it was just amazing how when the boss showed up, there was just a lot more production that happened. When the boss, when the, when, when the, white, when the white hats were gone, it was kind of like, break out, you know, kind of the, the party thing. But soon as they, you know, everyone w- was back at it, you know. And, and I mean, and, and we do that sort of thing. I mean, we're driving along Gordon Road or a Highway 97. And yeah, we're a few clicks over the speed limit, but everyone's doing it and we're continuing on. And then all of a sudden, everyone starts slowing down. You know, what's everyone slowing down? And then you see a police car up ahead and it's just like, you know, oh yeah, I better, better toe the line here, you know. And, and, and we all kind of like to push the limits a little bit and, you know, and, and at times be hypocrites. I mean, what's one of the big reasons why a lot of people say, I don't want to go to church, want, don't want anything to do with church? Because the church is full of hypocrites, for sure. And my answer to them is, yeah, we are. But you know what? Welcome. There's always room for one more. You know what? Because, I mean, in all areas, I mean, if we try to, I mean, we're, we can all be hypocritical at times, and, and it's something that, that we can struggle with, and hopefully we repent of, and we continue to keep growing in. And, and, you know, church isn't about just being all fake and plastic and shiny. It's about an authentic faith. It means that at times our faith is going to struggle, and we can be real about that, that at times there's going to be dry spells in our lives, spiritually and relationally, and, and that's where we need to work these things out, just not go through the motions and kind of this plastic and shiny, oh, Jesus is good and life is good all the time. No, because life isn't always, life isn't always good. It's hard. It's a struggle, and we need to... Be authentic in that. And Paul is saying, folks, just work it out in an authentic way. Don't fake it. You see, salvation has a starting point. For every one of us, there's a starting point if you have truly been born again. And the question is today that I'm going to keep coming back to, are you born again? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? And examine yourself. You can say, oh, yeah, 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 Melvin, that's, that's old hat. I mean, that happened to me so many years ago. Please, in light of God's word, examine yourself. Examine yourself here today. This is the most important question ever, and we need to wrestle with it. Our eternity, our families' lives, others depend on this. You see, any one of us, we can be prone to spiritual deception, to false salvation based on family heritage or false assumption or church attendance or thinking, well, I've lived a good life. Well, <laughs> at least a better life than that person over there, you know, and, and I mean, they look like they're in, you know, so I mean, I'm, uh, at least I'm better, you know. He who compares himself with others, it, it's just not wise not a wise way to go about living and you know and and so we need to examine our lives and has there been a time in your life when you have said yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior 
You see, Romans 10, in verses 9 and 10, say, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it goes on, with, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Have you confessed Christ? Have you received him? But also, have you shared it with others? Baptism is one of those steps where... We, is that declaration that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you been baptized? That's the follow-up to our salvation. That, that, that it doesn't save us. It is that symbol. It is that, that statement that we are in Christ. Good works can't get anyone to heaven. Just won't happen. We are saved by the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And this is so important because our world functions on the merit system. When I was in Boys Brigade, it was kind of like Boy Scouts. It was spiritual Boy Scouts, I guess you could probably describe it in a better way, that if you did different things, you got these little badges, and, and you got the little stockade badge. I think there was four of them that you would get. And, and then, you know, and after a little while, you'd almost look like a little army general walking around with, with all the badges and the different things, and it's just like, woohoo, I've got this kind of thing. And, and, uh, and our world, and oftentimes even our churches, can, can function on the merit system, thinking that, you know, um, that if I do this, do this, that's good. That's, that, will, that will work. Biblical Christianity doesn't function like that. It doesn't function like that. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said these words, and I just love it. I, I chuckled when I saw it, and I thought, this is so true. When someone asked him what we contribute to our salvation, and he said, sin and resistance. Isn't that good? The only thing we contribute to our salvation is sin and resistance. We can't save ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. It is a gift from God. But Melden, I'm confused then, because you say that works can't save you, but it's not by works, but this message, I mean, you're calling us to work it out. This doesn't make a lot of sense. You're, you're kind of contradicting Scripture here. Well, just stay tuned. We're going to get to this. But you see, we've got to understand this. This is really important. That when we are born again, when we receive Christ, we confess with our mouth, we believe it in our heart, there's a transaction that takes place between us and God. And that transaction is called justification. Justification is the instantaneous legal act where God thinks of our sins as forgiven. That's the way he sees us. And Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And God declares us righteous in his sight. This is our position before God. He declares us righteous. He sees us as righteous. We are forgiven all of the past forgiven. The old is gone. The new has come. He gives us a new heart. Regeneration starts to, starts to take place in our lives. A heart of stone becomes a, 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 a heart of flesh, a softer heart. God, by his Holy Spirit, comes in, takes residence within us. John 3 talks about we are born of the Spirit. Our eyes get open spiritually. Desires start to change. There's new power that is available to us. Power through the Holy Spirit. This is the gift of grace. This is the gift that we receive by faith because of the finished work of Christ. Have you been born again? That is so important. 
And if these things that I've described that, that desires have not changed in your life or there's not power or strength in the power of the Holy Spirit that, that you're experiencing, you need to examine your life. You need to, to take a hard look and say, okay, where am I at? And so salvation has a starting point, but then, but then next, salvation is a journey. Once we are justified, the work of transformation, or another word for that, sanctification begins. This is a progressive work that happens over time. You're not going to be instantly spiritual and just sing all the worship songs and be able to memorize scripture, you know, just kind of, you know, and, and just have all the right answers and, and not struggle in areas of sin or, you know, gossip or slander or whatever. I mean, this is a process and, and spiritual growth is hard at times. Sometimes it's steady and strong. Other Sometimes it's slow and painful. But if we're truly saved, there should be an increasing freedom from sin and more and more of a resemblance to Jesus Christ in our lives. And see, in order to be saved, we hear and we respond to the gospel, which is the work of Christ on the cross. But there's a dangerous tendency to then just leave the gospel as an experience and say, yes, I experienced God's grace in my life. I received the go- I accepted the gospel message when I was 5 or 15 or 24 or 36. And it's something in the past. That's when we are saved and we just kind of like, you know, just, just, just park it, just leave it there. But now that I'm saved, it's kind of like another chapter has started and now the spiritual disciplines begin. Now I guess I better learn how to read the Bible and I guess I should go to church and I should start praying and I should do that. I remember one time a new, new Christian came to me and said, what's, what's teething? What's teething? I thought, well, that's when little kids get their teeth. Is that what you're saying? I'm like, no, it's a, you guys talk about it all the time. What's teething? And, and I was like, oh, tithing, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's the, anyways. I mean, and, and so we, we think, well, I guess I should, you know what, start tithing to the church. I mean, sometimes the misconceptions of some of this is pretty funny. Charlotte, in, uh, when, just after we were married, she worked for a trucking company in Saskatoon. And one of the, the things, she was not a trucker, and, uh, and nor did she load trucks, but she was a dispatcher. She worked in the office, but part of their work experience was for them to, to go on um, a ride with one of the truckers. And she, she heard about this one trucker. He made this run from Saskatoon to North Battleford. And so she was assigned to go with Big Earl. And Big Earl was a big Earl. And, um, and so it, it was kind of comical because she, she gets into, into the, the big rig with him. And, and he says, so, I hear you're a pastor's wife. And, uh, and she said, yes. Uh, that's correct, and, and, uh, and he said, so is it true that if you go to church, you have to give like 20% of your income to, to the church, and, and, uh, and she says, no, it's 40, and uh, no, I, she didn't say that, and she says, well, no, that, that's not where it's at, but sometimes we think, well, it's about giving a certain percentage. Well, in the Old Testament, they gave a tithe, they gave a 10% of, of everything off the top, they gave it to the Lord's work. Because we are in the New Testament era, because the, the, the law is, we're not held to that, that's often a great standard. That's oftentimes, I tell people, that's a great starting point to, to, to just see the faithfulness of God. 
And, and so we think, well, I guess I should start tithing. Yes, you should start tithing. However, it's not because we have to. It's not because, oh boy, you know, like here I am over on this side. I'm, I'm learning the spiritual disciplines and, and I, you know what, and, and I'm just doing all of this. And oh, I guess I'll write another check or I'll go online and, and go and do this. And, and we kind of kind of park the gospel. We, we park the work of grace that God has done. And he's kind of put us now into this life of just growing in our walk with God and and it just seems like a lot of drudgery. It seems like a lot of work. You know, I guess you're saying we're supposed to work it out. And, you know, I guess the end results are going to be good. You know, so I, the truth is, folks, we never leave the gospel. We never leave what happened to us when we are 5 or 15 or 24 or 36 or whenever we receive Christ. We need to keep growing in the gospel in order to be sanctified. We feed on the truths and the realities of the gospel. And we keep asking ourselves these questions as we go through life on a daily basis. How does the gospel affect my family, my marriage, my relationships with people? That person who hurt us, who betrayed us, who did this, what does the gospel say to it? Well, I look at God's word. I look at what Jesus did to those who he hurt, who, who hurt him, who betrayed him. What did he do? He loved them. And if he could do that, then the gospel gives me the strength, the power through the, the power of Jesus Christ to be able to do the same to, to people who've hurt or who have wronged me. How do I manage my business? We go to the word of God and, and we find instruction through the word on how to conduct our, our, our business activities. Um, how do I treat people who live a contrary lifestyle to Scripture? We go to the Word of God. We see what, what God's Word says. And it's not this hard, it is hard fast. It, it's, it's black and white. But we use the gospel lenses of God's love and grace and mercy as we walk with people, as we go through life. The gospel affects how we walk through hard times because Christ walked through the hardest of times. And he prevailed. You see, but I struggle, Melden. I stumble. I fall. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. We all do. Paul, this guy writing this, this great book to, to the church in Philippi. I mean, if you want to read the most schizophrenic passage of Scripture, read Romans 7 from, from Paul who, I mean, the guy was just tossing, I mean, back and forth. I just love this passage. In my inner being, I delight in God's word, but I see another law at work, waging war for what I do. I don't want to do, but what I do, I hate to do, and blah, blah, blah. And, and then in the end, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? And he goes on, but thanks be to God for sending Jesus. It comes back to the gospel. It comes back to what Christ has done, that he is enough. And so by grace, we are free from the penalty of sin, and we are also free from the power of sin. You say, well, power of sin still has a lot of, a lot of control over me. Me too. Salvation is a journey. It's a process of sanctification. And we are slowly being set free as we continue to abide in Christ, as we continue to progress in our relationship with Him as we find strength in the power of the gospel. That's why we need the word of God. That's we, why we need prayer. That's why when we come together and we worship, that's why we, we meet together as a body of, of believers. That's why small groups, we have a, a group that's training right now. That's why we need small groups as part of the function of the church so that we're able to walk with one another, encourage, um, correct at times, in and through God's word, and, and, and be a family together in that way. And so Paul calls us in the last part of verse 12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
Next we see, work it out continuously. Work out your faith authentically, but also continuously. Remember, this is not a working for our salvation, not, um, not working towards salvation, just hoping, I, just, just if I try harder, if I do enough, you know what, kind of, if I do enough spiritual reps, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make it, I'm going to win the prize, I'm going to get my salvation. No, this is we are to work at applying the truths of God's word. Work at applying the truths that in, just read Philippians 2, about thinking of others more highly than ourselves and humility considering others and, and, uh, and, and working through the ramifications of our salvation. It is the gospel getting worked out daily in our lives. If, if Christ is the Lord of your life, it will affect you. It will change you. It will make a difference. If your faith has not changed you, if your faith is not changing you, chances are your faith has not truly saved you. And this is something very important. And sometimes we can have an emotional response to the gospel. It can happen at camp. It can happen in a church service. It can happen watching, maybe it was watching a televangelist on TV or going to a crusade. And, and it can be an emotional response. And, and yet you didn't fully, you know what, understand what the gospel was about. And, and you need to revisit that commitment because... because from that point, it's just like, well, nothing changed. I just, you know, and I'm not saying you're going to have, like Saul, I mean, on the road, became the Apostle Paul. He had that bright light experience. I mean, he, he had, I mean, just a drastic change. But if the Spirit is within us, we are going to have new desires and our eyes get open. And, and, and he starts working in and through our lives. Ephesians 2.10 says, we have been created for good works that God has ordained for us to do. James chapter 2 says, faith without works is dead. That, that if we're saved, there's going to be works that accompany it. Jesus said in Matthew 3, he says, Jesus said to produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. That it's going to show. Um, because we are saved, it doesn't mean that, that we just live however we want. We want to honor God with our bodies, with our time, with our resources. And he says, work it out with fear and trembling. This isn't kind of the fear of like, you know what, oh, you messed up, whack. Our God isn't like that. He's, he doesn't have the big billy stick and, and when we mess up, he doesn't come and take us out at the knees and say, smarten up. That's not our God. And it's not to be a fearful like, ah, kind of thing. This is with fear, with reverence and awe. And thanksgiving and worship what he's done. That working for him is, is not because we have to, but because of all that he has done for us as we are singing that song. And I love that declaration. Thank you, God, for saving me. That when we understand that reality, it's like, you have done this for me. And, and it's out of fear and uh, of reverence and worship. And that word with trembling is more the word of oftentimes as we're singing and I hear these words and go through my mind, I mean, I'm just led to ponder and at times just get choked up and tears at times will flow down my face because I'm just like, this is what he's done for me. And so we work it out with fear and trembling, with reverence, with awe, with worship, with, I can't believe, I can't believe he's done this for me. And then next we see we work it out through abiding. 
Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, folks, this is really, really important, okay? This is, I mean, this, this, for me to verbalize this to you and for you to understand this, this is really, really important. Because I think we get this mixed up. We get this messed up very, very easily. So please pay attention. First of all, I'm going to start with a little analogy, a little story. Let's say um, you're incredibly wealthy. And you talk to me after church and say, Meldon, next Friday night I want to take you and Charlotte out for a fantastic meal. What's your favorite meal? And so I tell them and... And so we go and, and or tell you what it is, and we go out for this fantastic meal at the most expensive restaurant in Kelowna, and it's prime rib with that horseradish that makes you sneeze and sweat at the same time, and, uh, you know, just melt in your mouth prime rib. Oh, so good, and nice stuffed baked potato, and... And a Caesar salad and asparagus just to kind of balance it all out, you know. And, and then after this, this fantastic meal, we enjoy this dark chocolate cake of some sort with a really good cup of coffee. And it's just like, oh, that was just so fantastic. And then at the end of the meal, say, hey, Meldon, um, just because um, I've booked for you the weekend at Sparkling Hill Penthouse Suite. Uh, I've arranged it. Kids are taken care of. Pastor Robbie from Oakville is going to come and preach here Sunday morning. You don't have to show up. You don't have to be a part of it. You are just going to just, you're going to go. We've booked all the massages for you, that, that cold room that goes down to minus, like, whatever craziness, and, and, and you're going to go in there, and then you're going to hot tubs, and you're just going to be pampered and room service. All, just go and enjoy, Meldon. And so we go and we enjoy this fantastic weekend, and it is just wonderful, Charlotte, and I just enjoy it. And we're so thankful, and we send a few text messages to you and, and saying, here we are just enjoying, here we are freezing, here we are sweating, here we are just sleeping, you know, enjoying room service, you know, just, just having this fantastic time. And, and so we get back from it, and it's just like, well, i got to do something back. And, but I look at my bank account, and I'm like, hey, uh, do you want to go to McDonald's? Um, here's, here, here's some French fries. And, and then it's just like, well, we, we, they gave us so much. I mean, oh, he, here's, here, here's a gift card, $10 for, 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 for Starbucks. Or, or, or here, you know what, you can go and have a nice time at Scandia and go play some mini golf, you know. And, 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 and it becomes to the point where you actually become offended that I'm trying to pay you back and you just gave me this incredible gift and now I'm looking for ways to just say thank you and there's no way I could thank you in that same kind of way and so I'm doing these things and, and you're just saying enough, enough. I just did it because I love you and because I just want to pour into you in this way and, 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 and this is what I've done. Just stop it. I'm, I'm glad you're thankful. But you don't have to do anything back. That's not why I gave it to you in the first place. And folks, I think that this, hopefully you can understand, this is a picture, a a very imperfect picture, but a bit of a picture of how God's grace comes to us. God's grace comes to us with no obligation. It comes to us full and free. Our salvation came at a cost. It cost Jesus Christ his life. But for us, it's free. No conditions. Full and free. We are not obligated to pay him back. Our work, 
our devotion when we call you to be part of Harvest Kids or to, to give of your resources, whatever. It's not payback to God. It's just like, well, I guess salvation full and free is for me, and, but I better write him a check. I better do this. I, I better go to church. I better tell others. I, I guess I should show up to worship services. We are not in debt to God. That's not why he did it. It's just like, oh, I did this for you. Now you're in debt to me. Now serve me the rest of your life and be miserable. Or, or work until, work yourself to the bone. Oftentimes, however, we do this or we think this. And to live like that, to work like that, to function like that, cheapens the work of the cross. Andrew Murray, not Andrew Murray who attends here, who's away this weekend, but Andrew Murray, the author in his book, Abide in Christ, has this quote. He says, The idea that many Christians have of grace is this, that their conversion and the pardon of God's work, but now, or, and pardon are God's work, but now in gratitude to God, it is their work to live as Christians and to follow Jesus. No, he says, just as it was Jesus who drew you when he said, come to me, so it is Jesus who keeps you when he says, abide in me. The past grace to come and the future grace to abide are alike from him and him alone. We are indwelt by God and his grace undergirds every facet of our salvation. When we receive Christ, he comes into us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit that's at work in us. That's where he says, for it is God who works in you. That's what it says in verse 13. It's God who's doing the work in you. It's not us doing it. It's God who's doing it. We work out our salvation by getting up in the morning and saying, God, I can't do it today. I can't do it in my power. I can't do it in my strength. It's your grace is what I need today. I need your strength. I need your power to work at me. I need you to enable me to live out your word in my life. That is how we abide in Christ. I can't, but God, you within me can do it. We go, we work for Christ by the grace of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we function throughout the day. And when we do this, when we're abiding in Christ, we're told that the power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us, pumping, flowing through our veins. That's quite a bit of power that God exerted that raised Christ from the dead. That same kind of power is available to us when we abide in Christ, when we're resting, trusting in Him. So we work out our salvation in this way, by resting and abiding in Him. Dependency on Him. We go, we work for Christ by the grace and power that's available. This is where there is power over temptation. When sin kicks in, when temptation and sin kicks in, there's power that's available. This is how we can effectively witness for Christ because we're doing it in His power, His strength, relying on Him for the words. This is how we develop the mind of Christ, through abiding in him. This isn't working for it and just trying to be more disciplined. And some people here are really super disciplined. And so some of these disciplines in the Christian life can come really easy for you. Some of us may be mediocre in our discipline. Some of us may lack a lot of personal discipline. And, and, 
But in this way, we we go on his power, his strength in our lives. We're not to be lazy Christians, but we work it out. We're diligent in our battle against sin. It's hour by hour, and in a few moments, we're going to be singing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Truth be known, it's probably every 15 minutes. (laughs) Every moment, I need you. And so, I can't do this on my own, but he provides the power. We go to the word of God. This is where we see our guidebook. We find our strength. We find wisdom in God's word. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we have a church, because we're not to just be isolated on our own. That's why we have those that we can go to, talk with, pray with, and they point you to the scriptures and and pray with you and for you. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. It's that moment-by-moment dependency. And the second you take control and live in self-sufficiency, that is the second we are on, on course to stumble, to fall, to fail. And he provides us the only way that we can stand as we work out our salvation in reverence and worship with fear and with trembling. It's God working through us. And when God is working in you, you can stand firm to the end because it's his work that is happening. That is authentic faith. Is it yours? Do you know him in that kind of a way? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We pray and the band is going to come and we're going to sing in a few moments. But today I just want to encourage you and give you that opportunity to receive Christ today for your salvation. Perhaps you've never done that or you did it, but you're really not sure if, if you really understood what it was about or maybe you desire the assurance of salvation. As we sing, I would love to pray with you. Feel free to come to the front and I'd love to pray with you. But I also want to share with you some, some red flags of examination. As we bow here. I'm going to just kind of share a number of things with you. Just call you like God's word says, work it out, examine your heart. I encourage you to examine where you're at with him today. Because these could be some red flags that could be some indicators of where things could be or just that um, you need to pay some attention in your walk with the Lord. The first thing is, first question, do you love others? Do you have a genuine love for others? 1 John 3.14 says, anyone who does not love others does not know God because God is love. An indicator that Christ is in us is a growing love for other people, even those that drive us crazy. They're growing love to tolerate, and not just to tolerate, but, but to love and to care for others. Second of all, do you seek to live a holy life by being obedient to the word? When you hear or read God's word or hear it proclaimed, you kind of ignore or dismiss or justify some actions you may be involved in. You won't submit to the word of God. That's a red flag. See, the Holy Spirit should be testifying to the truth of God's word in our life. And, and if we're living in areas of sin, we need to confess and we need to come clean of that. Thirdly, is there an affection for God? Or is it an affection for the world and all that it has to offer? 
See, the new life, new birth, receiving Christ means that spiritual appetites get awakened for the things of God. And if there's no deep awareness of sin or affection for God, that's a concern. Is there an affection for God as we worship Him? Are, are you growing in your worship? Are you growing in your service for God? Not just about attending church. That, that's just so North American that to show up and, and, and attend church. You know, we are to belong and be part of the church. That's what God's Word calls us to be a part of. Is there an affection for God and for the things of God, for His people? Fourthly, you habitually commit sin. You say, well, Melden, yeah, I sin all the time. But there's a difference between falling and stumbling into sin, and, and that's different than planning it out or justifying our sin or holding on to sin. Are you stuck in the traps of secret sin that owns you today? Maybe it's an unforgiving spirit that you have towards someone. Matthew 6, Jesus said, you can't forgive your brother. He says, I can't forgive you. Maybe today you're just it. You love the Lord and you've experienced him in your life in various ways and different capacities, but, but you're in a dry place. You're in a valley. You just need to worship him and call out to him in repentance and just in, in adoration and just say, oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And open your heart back up to him these are serious things we need to contemplate and I would encourage you as we sing this song and you'd like to come and just spend some time at the front for prayer sometimes it's getting up getting out of our seats and just declaring listen I, I desire to, to work out my salvation I want to work it out because I don't want to miss out I don't want to miss out on all that God has for me for my family for our city for workplace not just ignore these truths these are important truths from God's word and father I pray that even now that you would do that work in each one of us that we long for more of you more of you less of us and lord we don't do it just to try to pay you back we do it working in partnership with the abiding Holy Spirit in us. The, test, the Spirit of God testifies that we are your children. May you testify. May our worship even of you in the next few moments be a testimony of us just declaring our great need for you that we want to work this out and we work it out by being dependent on you and you alone by being submissive to your word. We know that there's life, power, freedom, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In Christ we are new creations. The old is gone. The new is come. We rejoice in these truths. Let's, let's stand in worship.